Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. Well, we're in, we're in, we're recording. And the light is on, the light the is light on. The light is on and, you know, it's a Friday. Is it Friday? What's the day today? It's Thursday. It's Thursday, Chris. And it'll be coming Thursday. out on this, this podcast will be coming out on a Tuesday. And um, and it is, it is, it is half term. And I've just had to send a message to the other room to say, please, please don't continue with the uh, junk percussion workshop that you're doing. <laughs> Well, you know, if we've got a bit of um, background music, I know, we, you know, we always do that kind of little interludes uh, at the uh, the 10 minute mark or whenever you stop speaking. Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, I, oh, I fade dear. in a bit of... Here we go, here we go. Well, I, I think we're getting into this. This is ad hominem, I think that is. Attack um, the man. Attack the man. Um, but, you know, you know, every 10 minutes or so, I, I you know, fade in a bit of, um, you know, lo-fi something. And and then fade it. Back I love out. a bit of lo-fi. Lo-fi is great. Yes, we're, we're yeah. both fans. It's and... my it's my my favourite listening of like. So it's actually there's an article I read that's like actually this kind of lo-fi hip hop genre. Yes, um, is scientifically proven to aid concentration on kind of just like your general tasks. Because it's so low but background um yeah it is brilliant so like yeah i do tend to have that on to take the well there's white noise really yes when i'm working it's, it's a good point i feel like this would be a good point to uh fade in some lo-fi beats right now but uh we won't well what we'll do is we'll we'll get on with the episode um and yeah, today silent, Chris. <laughs> so today we are talking about uh, 10 logical fallacies. I wanted it to be 12 because I wanted it to sound like a um, a really good book um, or, you know, something that's uh, be a 70,000 word book that would would sell incredibly well on the Times bestseller list. But as it is, we moved, we brought it down to, tw- uh, to 10 just because of time. And we're talking about, yeah, logical fallacies. Um, and I think this is really important because, you know, we are, uh, me and Lee are facilitators. So we come in and we are there to help you think through and conversations and uh really you know big strategic topics in in church and what it means is is that in the conversation you've got to be aware and if you're leading in your church you've got to be aware of what happens when you are uh conflicting and you're debating and that, and that happens and, and and healthy churches healthy teams should debate and they should uh argue in a healthy way that's that's a good thing but we still gotta be aware of, of some of these things so we've got 10 and we're going to go through them we'll yeah. go through them one at a time and i think what of, find... of which there are actually a hundred more kind of thing it's one of those yeah. it's one of those topics like and it's people have written very good books and blogs and posts and things out there on this and i think you know we'll we'll chuck a couple of um links in the show notes to things that make yeah. great additional reading because 
there's a podcast and things. I think I actually sent it to you, Chris, that when we were talking about this a month or so back, that actually gives um, a lot more background. But we're, we're just our main aim today is to, to think through how these apply in some of the common situations we see at church. And does it actually help us avoid some pitfalls um, or see things for what they really are? that we can actually make better decisions. It's about having clarity in every situation, isn't it, really? It's about yeah. being clear. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, just because these things could turn up, don't make anybody a bad person. The thing is, is that we've heard these a million times as well. And you'll see from the examples when we when we come to them, these are common. Yes. So it's no surprise that we also imitate them um, or that it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a go-to point. It's very easy to come to. So I think being able to watch it, get a bit self-aware, um, apply it to your meetings, hopefully it's helpful to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's dive straight in. The first logical fallacy is appeal to probability. Lee, explain to me what appeal to probability is. That's uh, the sense that if you think something is possible, then you start believing that it's certain to happen. Okay. Essentially uh so think of this as um also there's a conversely the appeal to improbability if you don't think it'll happen you think it will just fail so yes. you know there's, there's there's an inverse to this but think of it a little bit like uh i'll coin this the field of dreams fallacy okay so if build you build it, it they build will come. it and they will they will come the idea that if if, if it's there and possible that it that it will happen um, and we've all encountered this in in, in church life uh, with uh, events and meetings and conferences. This idea that you know, if if we think it's possible and we believe it can happen, that it that, that in our minds it starts becoming certain it will happen, and we often don't quite get the result that we that we were thinking about. Um, this yeah. yeah. This is a tough one in you know in when we're thinking about churches because you know we like to think about faith. And, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so sometimes, but I think it's, there's a difference between faith and uh, a logical fallacy of a, a appealing to probability. Because I think that it's when you use that in your argument. So I think you can still be faithful, but you still need to avoid appealing to probability in, in your arguments and your reasoning. Because I, yeah. I think both can work together nicely. It's it's a bit like saying, actually, I'll win the lottery if I keep buying tickets. Yeah. Now that that makes it more of a thing where that might be more divisive in a lot of our circles, where they'd go, well, we wouldn't play the lottery. Um, but actually, that that kind of thinking exists in other areas. So it's that like you know, if we, if we keep doing it, it's also a way to basically keep flogging a dead horse. It's like you know, but we've got this ministry and we never axe it um yeah. because it's like if we keep doing it at some point it will pay off it's like but you know that that triggers onto another logical fallacy that we're going to come to a bit later on as well yeah that's and, right and that, that's the thing these these logical fallacies don't always stand just on their own they're very close to a lot of neighbors in terms of the logic of how they work so you'll see that you very rarely encounter it just on its own and that you'll normally have two or three at play in any in any in any setup yeah okay well, let's go into number two then and uh, number two is 
ad hominem. Is that, am, I, am I saying that correctly? Ad hominem? Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, we would have sounded super smart if we'd have done all of these with the Latin phrasing at the beginning as we introduced them. Well, yes. Although, I, yes, my Latin is is lacking somewhat. Um, <laughs> I've, I've not I can't take your Latin. word for it, Chris, because I just don't like your jacket. <laughs> and, well, it, I wouldn't trust anyone that can't speak Latin. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's a, they're very good examples. <laughs> of um of ad hominem which is attack the man and we see this a yeah. lot you know or person let's let's let, let let's keep yes. that broad yes like the direct translation would be attack the man but uh it's uh yeah it's personal attack personal attack so um because yeah uh, you, you dis you 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 disregard someone's idea or someone's point because you don't like them or you don't like something about them um or the, the so that, i mean this is a, a prejudice thing um it could be sometimes it's a, a snobbery thing you know i wouldn't i wouldn't listen to anyone that doesn't have a masters in theology that kind of thing that's that's ad hominem because i wouldn't you know you're, you're disregarding what someone says it it does nothing to you know just because you've attacked that person does nothing to um you know, you know, you haven't refuted their argument. So what someone's saying is still valid regardless of what you think of that person. Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a good there's a good example direct on um, the the Wikipedia article that goes with this one, which might you know open this up where um, a student is saying to a business person, uh, "Is it true that you and your company sell weapons to third world rulers and who use them against their own people?" Okay. Okay. But the businessman replies back to the student and says. Is it true that your university gets funding by the company that you are claiming to sell guns to those countries? So, like, you're not innocent either. Now, that's attack that person's position, but it doesn't actually substantively alter that student's argument yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. So the response is to attack the person. And this is a thing that we see time and time again in the news, on TV, in arguments all, all around. It's sort of like, you know, it... You know, we might see this in especially like say climate conversations and things of um uh the more ecosphere at this at this time where it's like you know just because we notice something that we may be fighting for it just by linking us back that we're still the product of it doesn't alter the argument at all just by attacking the person so that's that's the thing to be to be mindful of in those situations yeah i mean i remember seeing a lot with um some politicians during lockdown they were getting questioned and what they would kind of do is, is talk to the journalists and and kind of put it back to them saying well hold on you're not keeping to social distancing guidelines or something like that and um and and is that an example of ad hominem just by deflecting that argument? yeah so but that's that that's kind of more like this abusive um ad hominem um aspect to it as well where like you know it starts as petty as probably name calling it's yeah. sort of like no you're an idiot it it's you know but once you've introduced something like that for anybody watching especially if it's a vote or a split then uh 
then then people it, it is a distraction it comes to it but then you know you know you can respond to tone you can go for a contradiction you can refute um you know it's there's there's so much that actually wraps wraps into this so i think it, it's being careful not to be dismissive but actually to understand the central point of the of, of the argument and you know we see this all the time um debates is the big one you know when we see televised debates of any nature yeah. you get a lot uh of these and that and that tips into we'll probably make that same comment on the rest of these fallacies they are they are often using those kind of debate and um, building up to um how to just swing and divide um, so that you get, you know, you 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 sway opinion and, div- and divide people. So actually, they can be they can be really negative and really bad uh, in, in in any situation. But ad hominem, it's exactly that. You know, this personal attack, the idea that you 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 put something back, but you never actually refute the centrality of that that person's argument. Yeah. Um, it's but, amazing to think that you know this happens a lot, like you said, in the political world. But how you know majority of these politicians have been trained in learning about logical arguments, philosophy, these kind of things, and how they still still go for that. I mean, maybe it's the pressure when you you've got to think of something quick, and so the easiest thing to do is just attack the person rather than take something and maybe that's the thing you know if you're in that situation where you're leading in a church and you feel under pressure and you feel that kind of temptation just to attack the person you know well you know what you're an idiot or you know those kind of things which is just so you know so rude take time take stock say i you know can i come back to you in a few days and have a think about it uh, is is way better and sometimes it's better to take those decision making a little bit slower and cool it down slow it down and then think about the actual premise of the argument itself rather than yeah. in the moment and trying to you know we i think we always have to feel like we've always got to be like really on it and be really um up together and ready to answer every single question and bat, bat it all away as leaders but we don't and that because it will just lead to these kind of things of, of you know of ad hominem and that's and i think the thing. that's the double edge though of this one is that on occasion the conduct or behavior of a person bringing the argument could genuinely be part of that discussion to dismiss their argument. You know, that occasionally you're going to encounter, and that's why you need to be really mindful. It's like, first off, before we get to anything that makes this personal, are we able to do anything against the argument? And then look at the nature of how that was brought. Because on occasion, you are going to encounter people whose conduct and behaviour and etc is it is potentially problematic and does dismiss uh them bringing anything even if it if it's true so that's and that's that is that is the double edge to something like this but i think you know first and foremost like we've talked about this on podcasts in the last few weeks that if if ever challenged you've always got to be able to give an account or a response of your decision idea and what you're doing in, in response to anything that anybody says, not just to be dismissive and say, no, it's, it's, it's happening or this is it, or to feel personally attacked yourself. Actually, you've always got to be able to defend the idea properly. Um, so I think that comes into it. Then if you, if you can dismiss that person because of 
some other conduct or something that you know means that they shouldn't have any position to say in those in those scenarios and some people do you know we can do things that rule ourselves out it's you know it's possible so uh, but i think that has to become secondary to the argument piece yeah yeah very good okay let's move on to the next one number three is the sunk cost fallacy uh lee explain to me what the sunk cost fallacy is uh so um it's just the fact that we've put money into this so we're going to keep putting money into it because we can't we can't see it fail basically it's like flogging Um, a dead horse that kind of thing yeah it's it comes into lots of things and looks similar to many of the others so you know we've put money into it now so you know we're we're here this is where we are and and keep going rather than calling it quits um cost overrun um yeah it's more about loss aversion it's about people don't want to be seen to fail by the time you've put substantial money into something yeah Um, so so again probably goes back to the you know you've built your field of dreams yeah actually this you know you've played from you know, possibility that you began to see in your mind a certainty and then you've invested in it and then it doesn't happen. But now you don't want to back away from that. So you end up with this, you know, sunk cost. So, you know, it's, you know, you keep making the bet as it were. So it's like having a ministry and, and, you know, you, you wanted to try something, you felt like it was right at the time and and you've put, you know, you put time, resource, effort into it, and it's just not working. And instead of calling it quits and saying, "Okay, that's fine, we'll we'll we'll, we'll close it," you keep going. No, no, we're gonna we're gonna keep going, keep going, and keep going because we can't see this fail because we've put this amount of money. And I guess it is. I guess that links into a kind of a, yeah. a status quo bias. We don't want, you know, that fear of changing the norm. <laughs> we we're used to this now, so we don't want to change it. Yeah. But but throw in with that, I, I think we're and you know, human behavior, we're particularly bad at this. We we like to look for pattern and link everything together. Now, the decision to invest two years ago into a project that no longer is working shouldn't impact the decision that we're making today about the future of this project. Yeah. So it's also kind of, you know, disassociating past decisions that were made at a time when things were doing something as to actually helping them in in the moment about what we need to decide for today that is probably under another given set of circumstances. Now, oddly, a lot of people are probably feeling a bit better about this because, you know, with enforced change like lockdown, we've, uh, you know, the commitment to do spend when we didn't have a lockdown uh when lockdown came everybody felt a lot of freedom to not continue those ideas of yeah i don't know renovating you know buildings or purchase programs and you know doing up internal capacity for you know for certain things actually now we're looking much more at you know longer periods of lower numbers in big gatherings and you know this hybrid nature like nobody's got an issue because something has changed but if there was a sunk cost thing, it'd be this like, you know, this persistence that no, no, we're, we're, we're still going to see that through. Um, you know, the possibility has become certainty and off we go. And then we end up with this sunk cost. So I think, you know, it is one to be very mindful of is not using 
patterns from the past are great and why we made decisions in the past is great but they can't always inform future decision making um, like sometimes we need to take them into account because things have changed fundamentally and stuff is different now and there's a different requirement and why we built a building and why we're located in this place 10 years ago might not be appropriate today given other things happening in our area is moving the goalposts and oh, it's uh, almost like it's linked chris yes yes it, it is it, and i think this is very prevalent where you think you see it in you know a church sets a vision you know we're going to achieve this and i think that, you know this we've talked about this before in previous podcasts it's about the sort of the gamification that, that can happen with um with goal setting all that kind of stuff but you've you set a vision and you want to achieve it and then what you realize is that you're not achieving it and so what you do is you start to redefine what success is to make yourself successful um or it's like a you know you maybe think of like you're running a, a ministry and it's just tanking and then so what you do is you just kind of re-philosophize it and go oh well it actually it was never really about that it was about it was about this and because it's about this now actually wow we've we've done a great job you know a round of applause everyone we've done we've done great when actually well that was never the the premise of what you were trying to do that wasn't what you were trying to achieve you've just moved the goalposts yeah everybody this edition is also subtitled thinking cynically uh, <laughs> um, which joking aside it's not but these these are really really helpful but I, I, that one again like the moving the goalposts what does success look like is you know we've we've got different criteria that are enforced upon us now for how we decide you know success in terms of what we count what we measure and have church statistics changed as a result of you know covid and lockdown and a, over a year um you know and for in the uk we're we're going to we're going to have something in this which is different than that's experienced elsewhere in europe or um in america and australia you know, we're, we are going to see, we're going to have some things here that we're going to, to figure out for ourselves because we, we've got a unique situation now and we can't just copy from others. So this idea, you know, like moving the goalpost, but like, you know, we've all seen it. It's like starting a group that's going to reach 100 people and do X, Y and Z and, you know, do all of these brilliant things. Again, a bit, bit more the, you know, possibility becomes certainty. Yes. And then when it doesn't, then we move the goalposts. Um as to you know well 100 people had a cup of tea um so yeah. you know it's, it's a win they all got a drink um yeah or it was know, never extra, about reaching 100 it was never really yeah. about reaching 100 people it was about you know creating a community and it actually oh we never said they had to all be here at the same time so one yeah. week for 100 weeks is okay yeah or we'll you know we count them each person they came for 10 weeks 10 people came for 10 weeks so that's 100 people you know <laughs> yeah it's never the same people but yeah 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 that's yeah. it um or it is but the same people you just count them 10 times um, look it's it's really easy and you, you know what in church we try to be kind 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, so I don't always think the motivation in this is wrong. So at least, you know, you know, at least we're probably not attacking the person. It's like, oh, no, like it was a bit of a sunk cost. And uh, now here we go. And um, but but, you know, this, you know, we're like we've moved the goalposts, but it failed because you're an idiot. Like we, we don't we we try not to do things like yeah, that. Yeah. So actually, a lot of these are, in one sense, you know, a reasonable motivation from an individual um, as to why they're doing this. They 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 want to be kind, but actually, it's look. Th- this is probably where you know, in churches particularly, we need to understand more about you know how we fail well. Um, how we fold in learnings and that you know failure isn't final and all these things you know stuff that actually we preach until it actually comes to the projects we do and the things that we yeah. sort out that that we we need to be in like no it's more that experimental nature it's like no we try things we invest small we see what sticks and then we adapt and pivot and change and go again and if things don't work then you know we change it and we move it and off we go again and you know, this, so this this getting into cycles of things and not this idea that, you know, if we make a decision today, we're going to live with that decision for the rest of our lives until one of us is no longer here at this church. Um, it's like, no, no, we don't want to do that. We need probably better better change models, actually, for churches. I think that's, that's part of it. But also what to do with people. This isn't modelled well in the world. So, yeah. you know, let's not, um, you know, even as recent as you know we've looked at statistics on the news and things particularly to do with um lockdown and 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 covid and when you know when rates will come and you know potentially moved the goalposts on on some of those things particularly around um test and trace kind of things at the time although you know it's probably hard to dig down to actually the the real story under some of that because of how reporting and it's very very fluid but, you know, like from, you know, what would happen by week one, what would happen by week two, what would happen by month one, you know, we saw some of that shifting. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very easy thing to fall into. Um, and we probably don't have supportive structures outside of church that demonstrate well how this should be done. Very good. Okay, let's go on to number five. Uh, number five is appeal to the stone, and that may, may not be as quite a known one, but I think this is something that we do a lot when we're arguing and we don't know what to do. We just we say things like, "I'm not going to dignify that with an answer," or I, I, "Here you go, Chris. I'm going to sound well. I'm going to sound smart, apart from the pronunciation. Argumentum ad lapidum. Is that what it is? Yeah. So." can can you give another you know it, it's not it, it's it's that thing of just dismissing it completely out of hand that's just ridiculous yeah it's dismissing an argument as untrue um by stating that it is absurd <laughs> yes so you're not actually you're not actually answering the question you're just dismissing no. it out of hand that's just ridiculous and and i think you see that a lot in church life i think you know especially in you know in the times when someone's putting a suggestion forward um we can easily just say oh that will never work that's ridiculous yeah. and we don't yeah. and and what it, it does it leaves that person who's brought an idea for instance and it's just it's just dismissed out of hand well that they've not been given any clear reason as to 
or why do you think that why you know it's, yeah it's like you state something and i go but that's just not true and you go well why is it not true and me saying it's obviously not correct like yeah. I've, I've offered nothing yeah you just dismissed it yeah and then and maybe at that point if this is more an say on an academic level or a larger scale level this ties into i think one of our next ones about appeal to authority is that if i am also a person of stature that people would believe it just because of the person saying it as opposed to them actually looking to see whether they say anything substantive to refute that claim so yeah. you know in, in in church in church world if, if somebody says it and then a person of perceived authority just says no yeah and number six is appeal to authority i think this happens a lot in church i think because of how church has been you know the traditional models that we've inherited of church the you know we we have a lot of church you know especially if you're more in the kind of evangelical circles has a lot more uh on a culture of the pastor i think and on a culture of um you know churches that have been very successful as well so because that church that large church down the road is doing it therefore it is the right thing to do is is would be an appeal to authority oh this person said it well that you know this person said that so therefore that must be true and that doesn't mean i mean so it, it doesn't mean that 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 person's view isn't valid you know the, the authority's view is very important um you know we've talked b- before about the, you know when you are in a place where you know you, the situation is complicated sometimes you need an expert to come in and and give their opinion on things but just appealing to oh well yeah but but dave said that or you know you know gene said that you know and and because of that it just refutes everything yeah and then you get and you know, and they were so they were somewhere else, and it worked for them. And then you're back to because it's possible, you now think it's certain. So yeah. these, you know, th- these these kind of cycle round quite well of how they link together and what they do. Now the appeal to authority is often more to do with um, overstating and believing that something is true as a result of who said it. But it right. does work the same way that if somebody then says no, that's absurd and we shouldn't do it, that people like go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you always want to be on the side of the person who you think is clever. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you know, so, and you. this is, we've also seen those people that, you know, given an argument, seem to flip-flop. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, person A starts saying something, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 clearly, that's obviously the way it goes. And then person B refutes it and they're like going, oh, yeah, but he has a point. No, absolutely. It's like I'm now with person B. And then person A speaks again. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 back to that one. And, it, and like, so in the middle, it's like whoever's got their ear is kind of like, you know, that that's how they're going to side. Yes. So, and that's, that that in church world, I've, I've probably seen more often, especially like charities, small churches, um, projects and ministries, that that's a, a division tactic 
uh, a lot of the time. You know, if somebody gets your ear, if they're shoulder tapping and now they're talking to you, the next thing you know is that that person is sort of, you know, all over with that idea um, or view on, on something. Um, so we do see this happen. And we'll have all had experience of it. But I think being able to name it means that when we recognize it, we can have that little internal dialogue that says, I'm aware that this is happening. And actually, I'm, I'm going to um, put something forward that is more concrete uh, to, to reframe this that we're talking to. And that's it. The biggest thing out of this is the tactics that we need to have in place to overcome these issues. Yeah, that's that that's that's the biggest thing. So it's actually then looking at these and going, what do we need in our toolkit as responsible leaders? Um, uh, you know, every time we speak, people are going to hang off our words. So what what do we need to do and have in place that we communicate clearly? And, you know, this comes back, you know, like mission, why are we doing it? And a good communication plan, like yeah. your communication plan probably needs to be the same steps every time. Because then if that becomes this cultural thing that you've got going on and everybody expects that, they know that if somebody speaks over here or speaks over there and it's outside of that way that you do things, yeah. that they're like going, oh, I'll wait for the document. I'll wait for the announcement. I'll wait for the on-screen stuff. I'll wait for the presentation um, because they know that that's how they're going to um, be delivered everything. And we've all been given little bits of information in the past and got nervous or felt a bit cautious, or even internally built that, you know, the argumentative monologue about why we're going to reject this thing that's about to be announced. And then you hear it from the stage and you go, oh, that's not what I thought. That's actually quite a good idea. Uh, quite like that. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's been able to catch ourselves and know that this happens. And, oh, we're, we are funny people because we're, we're just susceptible to it. You know, sometimes it's like you can't help that that's our initial reaction. But we, we can be... We do have to um, learn that. Yes. Well, let's go on to number seven. And I think this is one for the creatives among us. And I can recognize some of this in myself sometimes that I've fallen prey of this fallacy. Appeal to novelty, which is um, going for something just because it is new and novel and interesting and having that kind of bias towards it or saying, you know, it's got to be right because it's new um it's an interesting one isn't it oh you, you sound like you're talking about models of church chris uh, <laughs> I, I no would never be no no well maybe uh, yeah that's the but again you know it links back like we've probably seen it somewhere else we've seen it happen we've got the you know it's authority it's all the rest of it and now we've invested it in it so we've got to flog it um you know what I mean? Like off we, and off we go. But yeah, the appeal to novelty, yeah, this is correct or superior. It's better because it's new. Okay, I'm going like, to throw a massive spanner in the works and I'm not saying I believe this. The phenomenon of hybrid church, online church is a big one. Are we, are, are we in danger of falling foul of the appeal to novelty? in this but just because it's new therefore it must be because it's new it must be true um uh, look hybrid church and going online they're probably you know they're things that we've had to do and we still don't know enough and have a big enough data set even 12 months on to understand how they really work okay 
so we move the goalposts. Yeah. That's happening a lot. The novelty factor, that probably will wear off to a degree. We've got sunk cost, but we just bought five grand's worth of cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, we are going to stick with this. Um, so what's happening is, is that we haven't had a long enough run at it yet. And what we're doing instead is, you know, we're going to come to this, the appeal to novelty is that it, it, it's, it's all great for a time, a bit like homeschooling. Uh, yes. You know, we've, we, all, we all loved it at the beginning, with, you know, with the team's call and all the rest of it. Uh, and now when you've got, oh, now... You know that you know that's that's a discussion for another day, but I think the same in this. It's you know, and then we'll probably dismiss people on their you know if they challenge it. It's sort of like oh, but you know, hybrid church doesn't doesn't work. It's like oh yeah, but you've never been very good with computers. That that's not that's not the centrality of their argument. That's not what they're actually saying. So I think I think all of this is going to come into play. And we have to be very, very mindful of what data we are recording and how we are tracking effectiveness, that we aren't moving the goalposts and that we do remain objective and that decisions that we make out of lockdown aren't based on what we sunk into this during lockdown and that we are ready to change it and move with it. Um, that's, yeah, that that's one. And probably links to the next one which is about, you know, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll cycle back to this one about appeal to novelty, but it links to appeal to emotion as well. Yeah, that's, that's number that, eight. So yeah, appeal yeah. to emotion. So, the, you know, these, these all tie back around and it might be starting to seem quite big and quite complicated, but this isn't a very large set of data yet on the effectiveness of this for growing church. We've, we've learned more about engaging the people that we have and you know i've met churches that have said you know they grew and new people have come along and things like that and you know yeah that that that's been good but we can't compare it to you know how many people would have come along if we hadn't been online or a global pandemic you know there's other factors at play that have triggered people's triggered people's response as to now why they're interested in church um so you know if we hadn't a lockdown but there was a global pandemic maybe you know people's attitude towards exploring faith would have gone up anyway and if we'd have been in person <clears throat> we'd have seen more people attending in person now online there are a few more things that become apparent because we can see engagement numbers and track things well but like yeah and the novelty aspect is part of it and loads of people who wouldn't normally have done it especially if you're on facebook people in your friendship group go oh, i didn't know they went to church and they have a look and so you spot those levels of interest and suddenly we're counting every three second view and you know a thousand people attended our hundred person church and we think yeah. that that's real and it, it you know we haven't got enough data we haven't done this long enough novelty needs to be addressed uh, but also sunk cost possibility and certainty all of these things need to be addressed in that um yeah but, you know, if it doesn't work and people don't want to go my way, then I'm going to turn on the waterworks and tell them about what I've sunk into this and my personal sacrifice and guilt them into going with it and appeal to emotion. That's, that's how I'm going to get by it.
Well, yeah, and, that, and that's where we're getting into. Um, it's first off, before I get into appeal to emotion, what we're not saying is that hybrid church is bad. In fact, we're you know we're we are we're for hybrid church. We're thinking of doing some podcasts in the future about some hybrid church stuff. But we've got to be aware of these things straight off the bat that we can fall foul of some some severe logical fallacies and all of these things, and and we have to always check our own reasoning when we go into these things and it's that i think that's really important especially when we're yep. thinking about you know a major shift like moving from in person to hybrid um it, it's it, let's just make sure that we're, we're doing that carefully okay let's let's get let's dive into more into appeal to emotion um how does that look i think you, you talked about you know sort of turning on the waterworks i think i've seen this before in church life yeah i uh, it's an easy one because, and I think there was there was a period probably uh, in 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 church, um, probably like late nineties and early two thousands, where we saw a lot more um, online and on screen presentation, or like mm-hmm. you know there was a shift in how we saw conferences and how we saw the presentation of the gospel. Yes, with these incredible communicators. So we saw people who were more likely on stage to have a good communications qualification than necessarily always, you know, um, Bible training. And what we saw was incredibly emotive uh, talks, you know, real good intonation, the, the highs, the lows, the taking people on a journey, they're really crafting a story. Mm-hmm. And people started to feel and you know you have that appeal to emotion particularly when it came to you know asks and giving um and when it came to uh you know even even making decisions and raising your hand and these kind of things yes and it's that you know people really telling their story and it actually having emotion it's like obviously there's nothing wrong with that the danger is is that when you craft that that it can become manipulation when you actually build it in. Um, and that's that's when it's it's not good. Uh, and there's you know a negative side to it. But we all have to be careful that, you know, just because we're in a meeting and you know we don't like it, and maybe you know it causes one of us to visibly show emotion or you know, you know, somebody actually has tears because of what they've invested. Actually, we can't we can't always let that, you know, like we do need to address that. Don't get me wrong. That yeah. needs addressing because there's a human behind all of these things. Okay. There's a person. We need to address those things that are happening. But if we t- if we start putting that into the logical aspect of how we're making the decision, then we could make wrong decisions. So we've got to be very careful. Yeah. And and what we're not saying is that emotion is bad. And I think you've you've made that really clear. You know, and and even emotion in you know a a sunday service and i think that there's the skill of a communicator is to bring emotions through um but i think that when you uh when you're doing that where you're trying to make people you know where where logical decisions need to be made and you're using emotions to kind of override that so that people kind of get moved on a swell of emotion rather than thinking through things carefully uh, yeah. on on their own merits then i think it becomes like you said very very dangerous so yeah what we're not saying is you know be emotionless in your service you know on the services that you do and that that's not important but of course of course it is and emotions are 
an important thing, but you've got to be careful how you use them because emotions can be used, especially in church, you know, leadership from, you know, stage leadership. Um, that can be, it can be abused quite quickly and, and we can, yeah. we can fall foul of, of taking people on something where they made a decision based on emotion. And I think, you know, even, I think that it's going to, it's going to happen in, you know, the leadership team meeting as well, where, you know, you get excited about something and suddenly, you know, you, maybe you saw something went pretty well and suddenly there's this buzz in the room and you start making decisions based upon that. And there's this emotion about it and you've not actually tackled whether that's a good thing or not. And you've not tested something because the appeal to emotion has been used just to uh, sort of ride a wave through where you don't have to look at things critically. Yeah, I think it, it ties in when the emotion that somebody brings in their rejection of an idea is not actually linked to mm. objection of the argument. Uh, so okay, it's yeah. like, you know, like it's, yeah, when, when so when you bring in emotions that aren't actually tied to what's being discussed or anything as well. So, you know, we need to be careful of that. So sometimes, you know what, you know what, check yourself even like you know so for even you and i chris like when we come to talk stuff we we check in at the beginning of meetings and ask each other how we are um, and we do stuff and see you know is anything a distraction is anything else going on because we need to know it's sort of like if i've just suffered a loss in the family and i feel sad and then we're going to discuss something about the movement forward of thinking church that actually some of that emotion is also going to come with me might not yeah. be the best time to make that decision so we've got to be i think actually just being mindful of people's state of mind and what's going on as well is really really good that's the skill of a great facilitator in any of those situations and it's something that all teams should be learning um as, as they work together and that checking in with each other and understanding what people are bringing before you even have a meeting before you even discuss how you're going to proceed and what you're going to go forward that we, that our response doesn't come out of something else that's either that's not associated again not always from a negative point of view because we're people and these are things and this is how we work so but it's being mindful i think it's actually when appeal to emotion is um deliberate and is done and it's slightly and and, and it becomes manipulation yeah. now I, I i don't think actually many people are guilty of this but I know that there are times when sometimes, you know, if you know people are listening to you when you're talking to a bigger group, you, yes. you can get a bit carried away and it's easy to kind of like ride that and do something with it. That that, that level of responsibility we need to be in check for um, and, uh, you know, be, be very mindful of because it's, you know, we like it when people start responding to what we're saying. So we we can play to it. And if we do that, sometimes we introduce a level of emotion and, you know, we don't want to be manipulated and it's not, it's probably not even what we set out to do, but, you know, it can, it can happen. Um, especially if we're dealing with people who are more vulnerable. Um, and I'm talking more about just like, you know, talking in groups now, but on decision-making level, I think we just have to be, you know, check in, set the scene before you're making decisions, know what people are bringing and what might be a distraction, ask them about where they're at and get these things out of the way and have a better process to that before you even begin. Okay, let's go to number nine, uh, which is the genetic or psychogenetic fallacy. Now, I first heard of this one when I, I watched sometimes those, uh, you know, atheist versus um, theist debates that, that go on online and are very entertaining. 
And one of them is often from the, the atheist point of view, they'll say, well, you're only a Christian because you were born in the, you know, America or UK or wherever. And what it, what it's doing is you're just, the person describes where, how that person came to believe what they believe and tries, tries to use that to dismiss the argument, but it does nothing to dismiss the argument. It doesn't matter if you were born in, you know, if you're born in the Western world and, and that's the reason why you're a Christian, it does nothing to refute whether Christianity is true or not. And, um, and interestingly, this goes into what, so that's genetic fallacy. The, the, the kind of brother of that one is the psychogenetic fallacy, which I think is probably more prevalent in churches, which is you only believe that because of this, you know, um, you know, so you only believe in whatever because you were raised as a Catholic or as a, you know, a Lutheran or, you know, whatever. You only believe that. Or it would it even go as far to say as, you know, you only want you only want these songs sung on a Sunday because you love Hillsong or that kind of thing. You know, it's it's you you're you're picking up someone's bias, but that does nothing to to you're not actually arguing the point you're not actually saying this is yeah. not a good thing on them its own merit you're just saying you you only believe that because and that is the psychogenetic fallacy That's a really good and clear explanation. I'm not rambling like some of mine, Chris. Well done. Um, those, yeah, there's, there's those elements of it. It's the, like you said, like if you tie it back to somebody's tradition as well, that if that tradition did something in the past, that now you're saying, oh, I wouldn't have thought somebody like you would be promoting that now, even though they've never promoted that, but you're linking it back to something that happened years ago, is, you know, like, you know, furthering things. So I think, yeah, it's we just have to be very, very careful. Um, you know, what watch out for it. What other what other of the fallacies do you think it ties into? Um, or is this is this one slightly more standalone? Um Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess it it probably links to ad hominem because I think that because I think it's hard to, you know, you're attacking someone's um someone on the basis of their bias and i think that's always going to kind of come into that attacking the person scenario um so you're kind of you're, you're you know you just believe that because you're a that kind of person you know oh such a you know this kind of person thing to say you know it, it very much links into ad hominem i think um and but just spotting someone's bias does nothing you know that could be the right thing to do um but, you know, but I think we do it in church life so much because especially we are, you know, we're entrenched in denominational boundaries and even style preference boundaries, um, which are, you know, almost becoming just as big these days, um, where because someone likes this kind of church or that kind of leader, you start to mentally dismiss their what they're bringing because you just assuming that that's just their bias, that, oh, they just yeah. like they just want it like I that. That's just their style preference. 
Yeah, I'm just wondering if the, it, it's also a bit that um, we've probably seen it with some of the media stuff, probably more so out of America and this kind of like idea of, you know, like fake news, that if the news says anything about you in position of power that you don't like, that you discredit the source, um, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, you would print yeah, that because so you're a, you know, you're a right-wing newspaper or you're a left-wing newspaper or that kind of thing. You know, you would you yeah. would say that, and then then that does probably lead into yeah. Is then the attack the person is probably more the one that you know closely linked to that. Yeah, because I guess it ah, presupposes cool. someone's biases when that may not be the case, and that is an attacking the person, and you're kind of typecasting them into in into that area and that viewpoint, and that's not helpful. And it, I think it can happen so much. You know, I I think. I'm convinced that Christian Twitter is probably the worst of all Twitters. It's worse than football Twitter and football Twitter is pretty bad. Um, and I think it's because they constantly, you know, it's just this, you know, it's the mixture of ad hominem with psychogenetic fallacy. You know, this, you're biased because of this and, you know, just attacking someone because of their denominational beliefs or their, um, you know, their bias because of, you know, where they came from or where they, you know, those kind of things or you because you you know because you're from the bible belt you you of course you're going to believe this you know which is just not true you know th those kind of things and um uh and but it's so easily done and i think we've got to be so aware of it in, yeah. in church life i think see a lot of that with the you know you know what right so we're kind of like on the inside and we know a reasonable amount about denominational aspects of church yeah in a congregational aspect sat with people who are you know the congregation the parishioners i've often had conversations with them and rarely met people who understand some of the things that are criticisms of the denominational aspect of the church that yeah. they actually attend that they often don't care and don't know now you know that's a different thing maybe maybe they should maybe they should understand more about it they go because their friends go, they go because they like it, they go because they like the minister or there's, you know, something something attracted to them. Often those things that we would attack and, you know, cause like division on aren't relevant as much as we think they are to people who are actually attending and coming as well. I think, you know, we do need to, do need to watch that about which element of this do we promote, um, which I think ties nicely to that psychographic aspect of it because we talk yeah. about that in terms of... Um, you know profiling the people who come to our church and how they would align with us and where we're going and what we're doing there is so much more at play than this denominational aspect of a rule book and things that are in in above us and sometimes that don't even touch the congregation that they might not even be that aware of just because of the nature of how they how they work um and and we're highly we're much more transient these days anyway in terms of uh you know people don't stay in, in one location probably their whole lives as much anymore um particularly those coming through from student level and moving away from say home churches and then into churches they go to as you know families and things happen so some of that some of that matters less than other things that they start to prioritize so yeah. i think we do need to be really mindful of that that yeah what what of those things do do we raise and how why would we dismiss based on any of that yeah okay let's go to the last one straw man is the last one uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left to to talk about this, uh, but I know it's one that you really wanted to talk about, Lee. Uh, so the straw man is because I I think it's one of those that we 
all know the phrase, but I think we know less about man argument um and we think of it as something that's you know we build up a straw man to easy dismiss sometimes we even refer to it as a straw man because we believe it to be the first draft you know the thing to challenge yes. but actually in in terms of the uh the, the fallacy aspect of it and what we're doing is um that unable to attack the substance of that argument we build something up like it that we attack instead and kind of like cause the distraction and attack something else so um or you know it's kind of like by by extrapolation it's like you know uh we can't relax the laws on x because that would lead to y and yeah. off off we go to that thing so it's like you know uh I'll talk to you. We've got some people in, you know, a, a legal case. We've got people in the dock. If we don't convict them of this crime here today, then we are opening it up for freedom that uh, we'll never be able to convict anybody in, in this matter. And it's like that that's simply not true. But actually, you know, the appeal there is that we've built a straw man argument and, you know, conflated two things that actually don't work together. So yeah. I think, you know, that's the bit where we have to be really, really careful um, of actually if somebody's saying something making sure that our argument is addressing i say argument making sure that our questioning and our reasoning and how we want to discuss and make decisions is actually addressing the real topic and not something that we're building up because we're just unable to you know answer it yeah it's um, like this kind of over extrapolation of the consequences of that decision yeah I, i've got one it's like we're going to uh, let the youth have a greater involvement in our Sunday morning service. And the argument in return being, that's just going to water down the gospel and uh, see, you know, less, you know, less things happen and, and you know, less appeal to, to everybody. And therefore, and it's like, actually, you can't join those two, two things directly together. Yeah, or um, it, we're going to allow drums on the stage and then someone saying you're just allowing the occult practices to run amok in your church, something like that. You know, it's your, it, it, the, the presence of drums isn't directly related to the presence of an occultic practice, for instance, it, well, that would oh, be a straw let, man. By the time you've let one worship leader on stage with a tattoo, that's just the end of us as having any authority in this town and we'll see people go to hell. Yeah, or you know, we we've just yeah again watering down the gospel kind of thing. Yeah, that that's right. I think that's so, and it's so easily done, especially when I guess it it feels like when it links to something that's against tradition, it feels like you know like, and I think the problem is uh, the the great thing about traditions, and I, I think traditions are, you know, are a good thing in many senses because it's you know there's been something that's been put in place as as a of reason why we do something but when it gets forgotten then you actually you forgot why that was the case or sometimes it's just it was there for a time and not there you know doesn't it's not necessary anymore but what happens is is you start to have those straw man arguments because you don't really know why that was there in the first place and actually the the argument that you've got is normally just this over extrapolation and and creating this this thing that it isn't you know so you know drums leading to occult practices being done or that kind of thing it's just so much of an over extrapolation you're creating something you're creating you're 
you're defeating an argument that was never an argument. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest bit of it. Yeah. Well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll call it time there. That is 10 logical fallacies that we've done in uh, just under an hour. So uh, good job, Lee. Well done. Um, and that we, was good, we've, good fun. We've done all right there. Yes. Oh, I mean, it's good. It's good fun. And, you know, different one, you know, normally we take an area of church life and try and think that through or something like that. But this one's very much in the our thought processes that can just lead to any area. And and our hope in this is maybe you're spotting it in yourself. Maybe next time you're in a, you know, if you're leading your team, that if someone does that, you can say, ah, no, no, hang on, just going to stop you there. You know, I think we're falling foul of the sunk cost fallacy here, you know, or something like that. And just so that it can just improve your conversations with people it can improve your you know your leading of teams and that's that's why we wanted to do it no absolutely and it is that it's digging digging back behind how we think and creating awareness uh like i say like we're all going to fall foul of this kind of stuff because it's yeah. just prevalent it's common so it's actually but it doesn't stop us having understanding or spotting it and you know always best to remove it in ourselves before we look at addressing it in others as well brilliant well lee i will see you next week having a good one thank you so much again thank you well thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode and don't forget that you can send in your thoughts comments uh, discussions for whatever we've talked about uh, just drop us an email podcast at thinking.church and we'd love to be able to read it out on the show uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week so stay tuned for that uh, we will see you soon bye for now <laughs>